0: My name is Mark Haywood and we've got another guest interview for you today. Uh, today's guest is Nick Heathcote from Betfair. Nick's been involved in racing and the punt for basically his whole working life and even a little bit before that. And in his current role at Betfair, he's, he really is right at the forefront of the betting industry in Australia. So we'll explore that and get some of his opinions on making your way in the betting game. So my guest today is Nick Heathcote from Betfair. How are you going, Nick?
1: Great, uh, thanks for having me.
0: Not a problem. Um, yeah, just thought we'd, uh, obviously you're fairly well known in the punting world as, well, I guess we can call you the face of Betfair for many people. <laughs> what's, uh, uh, what's your role actually there at Betfair and what do you do?
1: So I'm, I'm actually the marketing, well, I'm in marketing strategy, um, but specifically content with some crossover to VIP. Um, I guess most people have seen most of what we do via the Betfair hub um, and that sort of launched a short time after I started so that was about three years ago um, and I guess the Betfair strategy was to understand the needs of our customers and to try and increase their wagering IQ because we've got a different model to corporate bookies and tabcorp where we want, want winners and we're trying to grow activity and get our punters to improve so we're trying to do the opposite of what the rest of the market are doing and I guess the hub is Sort of the brainchild and drives a lot of that education and um, the doing information that we get out there.
0: Are you sure. How long have you been at bit fair?
1: Yeah, so it's three years. It feels like um, it feels like I've been here a lot longer than that because we've got so much, so so many things up and rolling in that sort of time, and it's just seemed to be like a real natural fit for me. Obviously, I spent. Uh, seven years with uh, Alan Escander at Bedstar and I made a lot of good industry networks there and good contacts so it was a really easy transition for me to start something like The Hub and it just felt like a natural progression for me to start dealing with I guess the sharper end of town and guys that are looking to improve their action and um, deal with all the I guess the leading sort of data supplies and race information supplies and all that sort of thing so um, networking is probably one of my strengths so it, fit, it fits nicely really.
0: Yeah, I was just going to ask what your, uh, at your background in racing and punting was, uh, prior to joining Betfair. So, you were at Betstar,
1: you were saying? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, I guess like most people in the, in the game, um, my family always loved horses and my grandfather raced horses and so did my dad and my other grandfather he was from Mansfield and he broke in horses and he was more of a stockman. So, I was sort of, always had horses and racing sort of in my blood and, I actually thought I was going to be a racehorse trainer when I was a kid and I, um, I used to SP to mates at school during cup week and I used to take days off <laughs> and get into all sorts of trouble and ride my bike to the Albee racetrack and um, miss the last couple of classes. And I think the data card the cart had all be sort of ruined me when I was about 14 years old. So I guess things got more serious when I was about 19 and I, I deferred university um, thinking that I was going to become a racehorse trainer, but I... I've sort of always been someone that does things thoroughly, so I wanted to learn about stallions and breeding and make sure that um, I knew the sort of the whole process. So I actually started to work handling stallions at a place called Independent Stallions um, yeah. with a really good stallion hand I called um, Darren Godfrey. And then I went over and did some yielding prep with um, Lee Powell and David Barrett at Fullman Park. And all guys are really good horsemen, and so I can actually do a lot of stuff hands-on with horses, which... Um, which is an interesting start, but um, I sort of, yeah, I wasn't really keen on early mornings. For, with the racing stables, so I actually went up and started to do some work for um, Stu McKinnon up at the Sunshine Coast to had Damien Brown and Rachel yep. Mason as the, his stable jockeys, um, and did a stint up there before um, I came back to Melbourne and by chance sort of got introduced to Michael Horn, who was Alan Ascander's racing manager, and that's when um, Alan was just about to go to Darwin.
0: Yeah, so you got a bit of, I guess, background, not just in in the punt if you like, but you really did start off in horses as well.
1: Yeah, so, I just, it's a funny one really, but I guess in the time that I sort of was there hands-on, I realised how tough stable life was and the 4am starts really galvanises your sort of work ethic and sorts out, you know, the pretenders. So, it wasn't that I was allergic to the hard work, but the wages are really tough on the, you know, with stable life and yep. to survive on um, on those sort of wages at the Sunshine Coast, I actually found myself every Sunday going to the track and that was sort of my day off from the stables yeah. and I found myself sort of betting to survive. Um, yep. And then the, the other big thing, it's it's such a long return and it's a slow wait, you know, you have to have, it's a three-year process to get a horse to the track um, from conception. So I thought yep. to myself, well, why wait three years when you can just bet straight away? <laughs> so <laughs> I guess, you know, a short time after I got back to Melbourne, I met Nick and next thing you know, I'm sort of sitting there in shorts and thongs and I'm, I'm working the phones and working the books for Alan at that jar yeah. and at that time there was sort of only five or six people in the office. Um, Alan was sort of to and from Melbourne. Mike was his father was keen to take a back seat and we had an old school bookie in Frank Corley um, heading up the racing department at that stage. Most people know him from Victoria in the old days and mm-hmm. I guess my opportunity really came when the incumbent sports manager Dwight Bandy left for the Hong Kong Jockey Club and I thought this is my chance to put a on on Betstar so I basically steered sport working pretty much every Wednesday through to Sunday trading up until uh, half time or the whistle uh, when they bounced the ball on AFL and NRL for probably the next five years. So I saw a lot of football, um, and it really sort of took the shine off AFL for me. I, I was just yeah. sort of consumed by it. As exhilarating as it was, um, it was, yeah, it was a really... Uh, I was throwing a deep end, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. So you said you're, uh, your role, you're in marketing now. Um, just looking at Betfair, um, I guess one thing from the outside... Uh, the marketing of the exchange, it seemed to be a few years ago a bit more of a, a mass market approach, like you'd be on the scoreboard at the footy and all that sort of thing. Uh, whereas these days it all seems a little bit more targeted at your more serious punters, and, uh, a bit more direct marketing to them. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, I guess initially when the brand sort of launched maybe 10 years ago, they had to, they had to get a presence and people had to, you know, learn a little bit about their fare and there was some pretty interesting smear campaigns and that's probably natural um, for people to assume from pretty established um, operators and traditional methods of betting. So I guess that's probably the case in in any type of um, new business that's sort of a little bit challenger. But I guess the change was probably three and a half years ago when they detached from the dual function sort of exchange and sports book model which you'll probably remember. And so I guess the business decided to branch that off into two different areas uh, and then We could really sharpen up the business and focus on the exchange and we think that's, you know, been vindicated that decision and it was a really clear and simple message for our customer base then because I guess the internal belief at Betfair is that the next generation of punters will be sort of more tech savvy and data driven, which I guess at this stage is starting to um, prove pretty correct in it and it's a pretty crowded and uh, competitive marketplace and I guess with our Betfair Hub, we've, we've gone down this like education and betting information, um, you know, this warehouse that we've just tried to create to improve people's behaviour and we've really cut that education up into sort of six parts. And we've found that's really had some, um, well, that, that's sort of a growing area for us. That's where all the growth's gonna come from, the data and the education side of the business.
0: Yeah, and in terms of growth, um, I guess you've been there for three years now. Um, The volumes on the exchange, have you guys seen steady growth in racing and in
1: sport over that time? Yes. um, I guess Australian racing seems to keep leading the charge. Online restrictions on sports betting is still having a a significant impact. But I guess if you look at things like BSP volumes, um, that's 13% of turnover on Australian and New Zealand racing, uh, and that's increased by about 19% in the last 12 months the liquidity's improved uh, with the yep. BSP product and we've got, you know, the comparisons on, I guess, the value advantage, you know, comparing that to, say, a, a best of a three type product that most of the corporates are offering at the moment um, over the past 12 months. Turnover on a and thoroughbreds has exceeded three billion for the first time and, and this is up 19% against the previous 12-month period. So, the growth trend's been positive and that's sort of happened for the last three years uh, on end and it's never yep. been sort of healthier but, Obviously liquidity is something that we're always sort of working on, but the more volume and the more activity attracts, you know, sort of life behaviour and, and even turnover before sort of like lunchtime up around 50% year on year. And then turnover pre-race day is probably up about, you know, sort of 5 or 6% year on year. So there's a lot of potential in that area, but it's a lot of, it's a big change for people like to put their hand up early and show, you know, and, sh- and show, show their hand. That's something that has been you know, a little bit. Our punters have been a little bit uncomfortable to do that, but I think that perception slowly changing. And I think, uh, you know, the new taxes and the upcoming sort of headwaters at racing and challenges, or the challenges they face, that yep. could, um, yeah, change change the way people operate a little bit.
0: Yeah, sure. It's funny actually. Um, I guess talking to a lot of punters and um, through certain surveys we've done as well. Um, Actually find there are a lot of people, a lot of punters out there who still don't use Betfair. Um, I guess for them, what would, what would you say is the major advantage of the exchange as opposed to, uh, just using a traditional bookmaker?
1: Yeah, well there's, there's a lot really. Uh, we can talk about it a while, but I, I'll try and jot it down in a couple of key points. Well, we, we're after winners and winning behaviour, so we don't really cut off our clients like other operators. Uh, it's peer-to-peer, so it's not against the house. That allows uh, better value. I guess it's similar to sort of like an Uber or an eBay, or uh, then you know this new p to peer transactions that seem to be all the rage at the moment. So we're making up for lost time there. Uh, yeah, as I touched upon, just the price advantage and not just their starting price, but there's a lot of higher trading prices that happen before the close. So all that you can maximise on all that sort of market volatility and the shuffling around. You can sort of you can back, you can lay, you can trade. And there's so many different uh, strategies that you can implement. You just got to figure out what works for you. So we we sort of done breakdowns in our customer personas, and we can sort of narrow it down to about 40 different customer personas. So some guys automate, some guys are recreational, some guys do promo arbitrage. There's oh, there's a million ways that you can work in and around the exchange. Um, and I guess yeah, the ability to automate your strategies, data as I mentioned before, API. You can set up bots. You can get data sets, there's lots of opportunity there and that's only going to increase. I guess there's access to cheaper product. So overseas sport and racing and sort of low, lower margin product as well, like cricket and uh, Singapore racing is growing increasingly at the moment. And then you've got that access to that global liquidity as well. So I know it's a little bit of a pain point at the moment for us, but as I said, it's, it's only improved. But to access those bigger pools is you know, really appealing function for our bigger clients.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, And looking at, I guess, the major thing when, from the opponent's point of view, is the major difference for you guys is the commission rate uh, that you pay on your winners. Um, Yep. The way that's, I guess, structured at sort of 5% across the board, but then um, some of the racing codes in Australia are a little bit higher as as a result of race field fees. Um, what's the impact of those race field fees on the commission rates?
1: Yeah, I guess, yeah, the the commission rates factor in product fees, GST and sort of other other taxes, so I guess Mm. the the bigger the tax in various jurisdictions, the higher the market base rate goes, and we understand that the lower the market base rate is, the better off our punters are, and then I guess not really better off they are, but they're, they're likely to turn over more money, um, given yep. the nature of sort of our our product. So for an example, Racing Victoria recognise that Betfair is a betting exchange and, and got a, a really good product feed model in place as a percentage of revenue. And so because of this, we can keep the cost down on Victorian thoroughbreds down at 6%. And then that also allows us to provide sort of content, promotion, incentives to drive activity on those that sort of product. And so that combined approach with low commission, with the content and promotions, it sees, drive, and drive sort of lots of growth. And yep. um, as a consequence, or when you compare it to say, uh, New South Wales Thuribid Rating, who charge really high product fees, they're at 10%. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, una- we're unable to sort of promote that content and offer, um, promotions in terms of like discount rates and things like that to incentivise clients to transact um, more often, and this sort of had the opposite effect. So the last 12 months, the growth on New South Wales has been in decline. So that's sort of been masked recently because they've added more product. There's more meetings early on the week, but the growth difference between sort of Victoria and New South Wales is significant. And even a product like Singapore, we've sort of doubled turnover in the last sort of 12 months. So yes, it's a concern for the industry. That I guess there's just a bigger advantage for punters to go offshore and find better jurisdictions that are more favourable from a, from a taxing perspective. So that's sort of what we're trying to uh, get through to the racing bodies and things like that. But yeah, it's not always an easy task.
0: Just recently, the, the point of consumption taxes that are coming across all the different states on racing, we've, we've heard a lot from the, um, the more traditional online bookmakers about that, but what's the impact been on on Betfair?
1: Yeah, so I guess the only example that we can draw on is South Australia, and the growth from South Australian residents has slowed considerably, which is a direct result of the actions that we sort of had to undertake to mitigate the impact of the the pop tax. Mm. So the pop tax is 15% in South Australia, the maximum that anyone sort of talked about in the industry. Uh, For a low business like us, it's a huge cost. Um, that hits our bottom line and then South Australian customers are no longer eligible for a discount rate as a result because the product becomes unviable for us and it doesn't work out with our model. Most home state residents bet on their own product as a starting point so it had a direct impact on South Australian racing Um, and all three codes have experienced the slower growth rate compared to other states. You've got a state like Victoria that's flying um, and then the inverse of that. I guess the POC-imposed really opens the door for um, offshore operators and puts them at a really big advantage compared to us. Uh, We comply with the product fees, the GST and the advertising laws, which they don't have to worry about. Yep. And that's a really big concern for for everyone. So it's hard Mm. to um, forecast what's going to happen with other states uh, when they're... Um, fees go up and we're not sure how uh, how we're going to react to that and we can't really model uh, what we do until it's sort of in place. So, yeah, I guess it's a dangerous time and, you know, thankfully not not every jurisdiction has gone or has indicated that they're going to go to the 15% uh, because yeah. the incremental um, changes are probably the best thing for the industry. Uh, otherwise, everyone's sort of going in blindly and, yeah, it's a dangerous game. Sure. Um, just another one
0: I wanted to ask you about, which... You hear a little bit about is the premium charge for, it's also you now been referred to as the real high roller charge for, for those turning over a lot on Betfair. Just, just want to explain to people who aren't affected by it, I guess, what it is and, um, why it's done and how many people it, I guess, affects.
1: Premium charge affects less than a hundred people a year. They're very low yield, highly efficient, profitable customers. They're not entering the market a lot, but they're very efficient when they do. I guess similar to the turnover charge, it um, affects a few dozen customers whose trading strategy ends up costing us money on certain jurisdictions, especially when there's not much margin in the product, like in New South Wales, for example. Um, and without these charges, those customers affect us, would continually cost us more than Betfair makes, and it really impacts the ecosystem. So hopefully those customers turn their attention to more favourable rating states. They yep. don't really want to charge customers that have no choice mm. so we'd probably rather apply these sort of charges than turn their accounts off but yeah we try and um, mitigate that where possible but um, it all depends it's, it's sort of case by case and then yes. it's sort of seasonal too. some guys hit it and then um, they don't hit it for another three six twelve months but yeah it really depends case by case but it's I think there's a lot of noise made out of it but it, in actual fact it doesn't really affect as many people as some might think.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, for the amount you do hear about it at times, it doesn't seem to be many punters that it impacts.
1: No, exactly. When you think about how many, you know, there are active clients and punters there are in Australia and things like that. But, yeah, we carry a high proportion of winning clients and that's what we're about. We're trying to improve our clients all the time Mm. and it's a completely opposite strategy to everyone else in the game. So... You know, I guess it's no different to any other thing in society. The the minority whinges sort of uh, get the most airtime, but in yeah. actual fact, it's if you premium charge is a really good problem to have if you're a punter. I'd love to be on it myself. <laughs> yeah. So, um,
0: one thing I was just going to ask you too is there's a lot of noise made about the I guess the migration of punters from in Australia, from, from racing to sport in recent years. Mm-hmm. Is is that something you guys have observed as well?
1: Not at this stage and probably, you know, online, in play is probably the big thing. Mm. And until that sort of opens up, we won't see the big effect from it, from a Betfair bet perspective. Sure, right. there's lots of growth in Big Bash. AFL and NRL have been really good for us. We've we pushed to a two and a half percent market base rate yep. early in the season to drive activity and that's been really positive for us and that's been pretty well supported by our clients in time, um, yeah, I think so. And I, I think, you know, you guys, when well, you hear a lot about the minimum bet laws and limits and things like that and guys that I speak to continually tell me how much more money they can get on for in, yep. in sport. Um, if, Racing continues to put restrictions in place with advertising, with pot tax, etc. cetera. Sports will attract a much higher share of the wagering wallet in time, and racing will become uncompetitive. And also, I guess, the changing laws in the US will see new operators open up in and around the US, providing Australian customers with competitive legal offshore markets.
0: Yeah, and that'll
1: leave the local onshore operators highly exposed. Mm. So yeah, I guess it'll be a slower decay, but something yep. that yeah, will, will definitely happen for sure.
0: Yeah, something I guess you've touched on there, and I was just going to ask you about more broadly: was what's the future of wagering in Australia? Um, as somebody inside the the industry every day, what what do you what do you see as the I guess the state of the industry at the moment? and... And the way things are looking for the future.
1: Well, I guess you know, I think it's what, coming up—you know, eleven years or something like that. And I remember the you know the old the old days, say you know pre two thousand and ten, where mm. clients would bet, sharp punters would bet, you could lay off lines and chase splits and steal points, and you know the, the operators that sort of existed there were the Top Sport, the Troops, Flemington Sports Bet, the Sylvester's. Sports acumen, Hamish Davidson, sports betting, like Hamish was, he was really deadly with the sports and had a mile on the market, but that, Mm. the activity was amazing. The last hour and a half of a match was unbelievable. Lines had moved 10 points, they'd go back the other way, and we used to take hundreds of thousands of dollars on the market, and we could lay off, we could, we could do everything. But then, you know, you, you fast forward to 2014 and the market started to be, Beyond the nose a little bit. The last hour before the game was it was pretty boring. I guess the art of bookmaking was taken out of the game, and that's probably thanks to the UK invasion the, and all the consolidations. Um, so yeah, that's it's there's there's less volatility in the market, and I guess yeah, it's all just it's all becoming I guess more data data driven. The prices aren't moving as much. Yeah. And it's becoming really sterile. So I guess the more people clamp down and put taxes on it, yep, the less activity and movement within the marketplace and the less stimulation, the less operators, the less yeah. opinions, uh, and punters really struggle uh, to lay off. So, yeah, the, obviously the betting ring's changed. It's all online. You can't really see as much of what goes on, and the big guys are getting more more share of the wallet. But it's definitely getting harder because bookmakers are obviously factoring more percentage into their books, and you can sort of see it pre-post. So, mm. yeah, the future—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, five or ten years time, once crypto stabilizes and it finds its true market price, I, yep. I can see crypto operators opening up, and that's further concern for the racing bodies because they won't—they'll get less, or if anything at all. Yeah. So, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess just finally too, obviously our audience is punters and you're someone yourself who's been in the game for quite a, quite a while. Um, any words of advice out there for, for punters, um, to sharpen up their game a bit?
1: Yeah, I guess, that, you know, i proudly say it, but everyone at Betfair is proud of the stuff that we do on the hub. We sort of I touched on before about education, and I guess there's six sort of different categories that we we uh, we use our education. So there's betting psychology, yep. um, the racing education yep. on how to become a, a pro punter. That's supplied yep. by Dan O'Sullivan, and I guess he's sort of the new Dom Byrne, so that's definitely yep. worth a look. With no respect to Dom, so I think he's a pretty good <laughs> mates with Daniel, and both are, are pretty busy guys. But he sort of picked up the the mantle, I guess, of the new educator in the Australian market. We've got some great customer insights pieces on the hub. We've got journals that sit down with our most successful clients and they openly discuss some of their strategy and their approaches. We break down strategies by sport. We've got some great stuff about promo arbitrage and we're just about to launch a heap of stuff on how to model. We just did a data on on the World Cup um, and we're just about to post some open source code to our clients and even, yeah, IT, uh, not IT-savvy people like myself could possibly mm. model their own sort of racing activity. So I yeah, think that's, yeah. you know, the hub's a great resource. And, you know, five years ago, I wish I had, you know, something like it. And I guess I'm lucky to be able to uh, build out, you know, a great warehouse that punters can just have all the, you know, the access to the punning forms, the ratings to win, and all that great education content. They're ready to go. Um, from, from a punning perspective, I think you just, you know, it's no different to life, really. I think you just gotta aim to improve your skill set and sort of grow your brain. There's never been um, more affordable, high quality content. You know, audio books are brilliant. Uh, the Blinkist app's great for lazy readers. There's so much information that you can get out of that and just get good thoughts sort of running through your brain all the time. If you're transacting with Betfair, I think you're mad if you haven't tried a third-party app, something like BetAngel or Grush. It's yep. like driving a Ferrari, yep. whereas our, our Betfair channels are a bit clunky, it's yep. sort of like a Datsun. So make sure you try and get your head around that because you can actually see some, some crazy volume there and um, the one-click betting's a great option. And it's yep. just amazing what you can pick up from other smart punters. Like the Betfair community want to grow the game and we're trying to build that community. Guys like Daniel O'Sullivan have been a really good influence on me. Mark lamborn has got great ideas from Racing Rant. You can apply that to different tracks around Australia. He's got lots of good ideas. There's some other clients that I'd prefer not to say who they are, but if you can find betting mentors, try and absorb as much as you can from them. And I guess from a betting perspective, I guess the key to winning, in my opinion, staking and sort of knowing when you've got an edge and yep. if you can take advantage of it. I guess the hardest... Hardest punters on the planet that I've seen. The hardest to beat because they stake better than the rest, and they're really mm. patient. They might have you know a couple of good bets on a Saturday, or two really good bets on the AFL round or the NRL or whatever it is, and they give you bugger all chances to beat them. I think too many punters try to bet into too many outcomes, whereas yep. bookies have to bet on every race, but as a punter you don't. So mm. if you if you can be patient and pick pick uh, the bookies off or pick the market off, uh, you'll survive in the long run. And if you stake well and, and manage your bank, you can definitely win.
0: Good one. All right, well, that's probably about us uh, for today. So thanks for your time today, Nick. Um, obviously, we encourage everyone to jump on a Betfair and especially onto the hub there where you've got a whole stack of um, educational pieces. And, uh, yeah, hopefully speak again to you soon. Thanks, mate. Pleasure. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Winning Edge Investments podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes and you won't miss any future episodes. Uh, you can also find Winning Edge Investments on all of the usual social media channels such as Facebook and Twitter. So let us know over there if you have any questions or if you just want to have a chat about punting. And of course, you can also head over to our website, winningedgeinvestments.com. Uh, you'll find any other news and, and information on the packages that we have on offer in conjunction with all the professional punters we work with and you can also sign up to our free weekly newsletter and you'll get those pros best tips straight to your inbox every friday so until next time happy punting my name's mark haywood thanks for listening